Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right, so we're continuing our joy series, our joy teaching, and this is so important. We've learned so much already from the beginning of the month up until now. And um, I'm going to share a few important thoughts for you. This is going to corroborate um, a teaching I did right after the NSAS protest last year. It was such a tough time and people had a lot of questions to ask. And so I traveled to Abuja and did a teaching um, titled Joy Fight. So you might want to watch that again to refresh your memory. I'm saying that because there are some things I'm going to touch here that I didn't touch there. And there are some things that I touched there that I'm not going to touch here. Um, so be a good student and watch both so that you will have a full perspective. I want to start by letting you know I'm going to share briefly from Matthew 13, then Matthew 19, and then Matthew 5. Same book, same person talking, different bits of the same concept. And this is, this is so important. All right. The text I'm going to share from Matthew 13, the verses I'm going to share, I shared on Sunday, so you can consider this to be a continuation. All right. Matthew, Matthew 13 from verse 44 to 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man found and hid, he hid, and for joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Something seemingly unrelated came to mind when I was studying this this evening. And it was a moment on my wedding day after the pastor, the man of God, Reverend Sukomi, a lovely man of God, had preached this uh, wonderful sermon. He put me on the spot. He just looked at me and said, can you die for your wife? <laughs> I put a mic on me. And without much thoughts, I said, yes. You know, and of course, many responsible men will respond the same way. Even though secretly, we all believe or we all hope we don't have to. <laughs> you know, that's the reality of it. You know, um, I was listening to a comedian talk about this. He said his wife looked at him and said, Dearie, can you die for me? And he looked at her sternly and said, My dear, I want to be alive so I can love you very well. <laughs> You know, I, when I heard that, I was like, mm, concept. Ah, if I knew that on that wedding day, I would have said that. <laughs> but the reality of it is this. As romantic as it might seem to say, I'll die for you. That's something you really need to think about. All right? Meditate on and be ready for lest you be found a liar. Death is not a joke. This is not a game. And 
when you read a text like this, for instance, it might seem nice. It's a nice concept. Conceptually is nice, but maybe not in practice. I'm speaking strictly from a natural standpoint. This is something that is intellectually stimulating. Ah, idea, like, like a philosophical concept. It, it seems deep and great. And the reason why many religious people are quick to embrace it without really meditating on this or, or even understanding the gravity of what he's saying is because we actually certainly hope that we are never put to the test. Yeah, you know what? I will sell all I have and follow you. But let's just never try that. I hope I never have to. But you have to understand logically how challenging this is. This is not a game. These are the requirements of salvation. You know what he said in just the next chapter? He said this in verse 37 of chapter 10. He said, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Listen, when he tells you that you must consider him a treasure above every other treasure, he's not joking. And so in case you don't understand what he's saying, he begins to give you examples. You must love, honor, and cherish Christ above father, mother, even above your own very life. And yes, theologically and actually, we understand that he's worthy than he is. But what I just want to present to you is how naturally speaking, a miracle has to happen for you to see it. It is not something you can explain intellectually and someone will get. A miracle has to happen. And even if you get it, practicing it is something else. Like I said, many people think, ah, oh, no, don't worry, this is a test that we'll never have to face. Just like you're in your lecture room in the university, and there is this particular question that you hope will not come out in the exam, or at least will not be compulsory. And that's the kind of perspective we have to this. So yeah, Jesus says that, ah, nice one, sir. You know, he says that in Matthew 13, you're hoping you'll never face the test. But in Matthew 19, a young rich ruler comes to him and says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, you know all the commandments. Do this, do this, do this. And he said, all this I've obeyed from my youth. And he said, well, here is something that you can do. Verse 21 of Matthew 13. He said, if you want to be perfect, sell what you have. Listen, what he said in parables in Matthew 13, 44 becomes a responsibility for this young man. He literally presents it to this young man. So you understand he's not speaking metaphorically. He means it. Jesus actually expects you to be willing and ready to give up all you have to follow him. And this is proof. In the same chapter, not too long after he made the statement, that grandiose statement, in Matthew 13, 44, he actually throws the challenge to this young rich ruler. Sell all you have. Follow me. You will have treasure in heaven. 
And the Bible says the young man went away sorrowful. Why? The Bible says because he had great possessions. I told you it's not easy. You know, some of you will look at the young rich ruler and just be like, guy, you were so stupid. Why would you do that? Why would you walk away for, from Jesus for any reason? Make no mistake, he was stupid. And what he did was the wrong thing. But what I'm trying to help you see is that for you to have the proper perspective to this, a miracle has to happen in your heart. I've given a million times the example of Dangote. If it was Dangote in the exact same scenario, telling a young entrepreneur, sell all you have and follow me, the young entrepreneur will do it. But the reality of the situation is this. We are so short-sighted and our perspective of tangibility is materialistic. So if Jesus offers something spiritual, we can't really place it in terms of value from our minds, you see. And that's why um, even though Jesus is worth more than Dangote, and that comparison is even unnecessary, all right? But you see, Dangote, you know, don't they say um, a bed in hand, hand is worth 10 in the village or in the bush or something like that? At least Dangote is treasures, you can see it. And Jesus is telling you love, joy, peace. You're like, thank you, sir. But, you know, Dangote has money, money. Right after that young, rich ruler walks away. You know what Jesus said? The Bible says he looked at his disciples and said, I tell you most assuredly, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't even know if you've read your Bible to that point yet. Have you ever read your Bible? Have you ever read that in your Bible? That, that's what he said. It's hard. Listen, Jesus admitted. Because if you're going to make the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to drop all your resources. And so I, well, the richer man is going to have a lot more to drop. And that's what makes it difficult. Jesus says it. Listen, let me tell you, for you to understand the gravity of this statement, the disciples were taken aback by it. Like, what did you just say? It's hard. Did you just admit that? Did, what did we hear you say? And you know what? They look at him and say, well, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Is there a certificate given to people who make money? Like the moment you blow like this, they give you a certificate. Congratulations, you can no longer make heaven. Let, let's know. Like, what is this really about? Is this a gospel of poverty? Or what, what is this about? I mean, you said it is hard. And then he didn't stop there. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I don't know if you, you can 
feel the gravity of all that we're saying. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So, I mean, a camel is a big animal in case you don't know. The eye of a needle is very small. Listen, some people have different interpretations of what Jesus meant by the eye of a needle. Some say there is a type of gate, you know. Um, there was a type of gate, a very small gate at that time that was called the eye of a needle. And for a camel to pass that gate, it will have to squat and go through. Nonetheless, whatever your definition of eye of a needle is, it communicates difficulty. All right? Difficulty. Not just does it communicate difficulty, it communicates impossibility. And that's why I believe he was actually talking about eye of a needle, like for thread. Because Jesus said, with men it is impossible. So the eye of a needle, the type of gate they were talking about that time, is difficult for a camel to pass through, but it's not impossible. What Jesus is talking about is something impossible. So even to put thread through the eye of a needle, you know the kind of laser focus you need. You know, and listen, if that was the illustration, it is still profound. That a rich man to make heaven is like threading a needle. You know, that would mean, oh, you need focus. He didn't say that. He says it's like a camel going. <laughs> you, you, know, so, you know, so just when you're about, so listen, this is the point I'm trying to make. When they, when they now say, who then can be sa saved? He said, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. So, this kingdom we are talking about is akin to camels going through the eye of a needle. Listen, God has done in us something impossible. You have to understand it. That if you try to grasp the responsibilities of Christianity from a natural standpoint, your head will explode. It's, it's, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. When you tell a man in a sinful self, in a sinful nature, to do what God expects from every Christian, it's like, what are you talking about? You are either a hypocrite or you see the impossibility of this. Sell all you have for a single treasure, which is Christ. Meaning at any time, T, there is nothing in your life, including your life itself, that you shouldn't be willing to give. Do you think it's easy? Do you think it's easy? That if they put a sword to your neck, this is not a game. And it tells you categorically, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. This, this is not a game. Christianity is a miracle of changed desires. Listen, this is why generosity is so important. This is why generosity is so important. See, when the tithing argument was going on, I was irritated to my core because you could tell that people were not even really interested in what was doctrinally correct or, you know, their own issue is money. 
anything they will do to keep as much money as possible is what they, they were after. That's a bigger symptom. It's a bigger problem. Christians, you're talking about a tenth. Just in case you didn't understand, you don't understand. He said you must be willing to give all, liquidate every single thing you have for his sake. So if you are debating over a tenth, you don't get it. You don't get it. Praise the Lord. So I've shared with you from Matthew 13 and from Matthew 19. Now let me come to Matthew 5. The first recorded sermon of Jesus. It's called the Beatitudes. So just so you remember, attitudes to be. So blessed are the poor in spirit, the answer is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemaking, I, I can deal with that. That's, that's something to do. It's hard. Even for the natural man, listen, I remember when I made it a point of duty to obey this command to the letter. So there was this lady who just flipped, you know, and just insulted me for no just cause. I was a classmate in um, the university. I don't want to tell you the story, but she was Clearly at fault. The blind could see it. Everybody knew that. What, what was wrong with this lady, you know? You know. But after some time, I just came to her and said, you know what? I take responsibility for what happened. I'm sorry. So in my mind, I'm like, Lord, you see I'm doing this, you know? <laughs> you see, I'm trying. And then to my shock, you know what she said? She said, ah, you think I'm angry with you? If I'm angry with you, you, I mean, you will see yourself. If you think I'm angry with you, go, don't worry, it's okay. Ah. So for a split second, I almost said, show you how are you? <laughs> is it me? This Christianity thing is true. <laughs> you know, Sheldon. <laughs> you know, you know, well, but that's it. But the, the, the fact is, well, that's difficult, but I can handle that. I can do peacemaker, you know? Reconcile people, or even apologize, you know, own up, whatever. But then it gets to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not where I'm going. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. And they say that falsely for my sake. Now, this is what he says. He, don't, he, he didn't say be consoled. Listen, we can wrap our minds around consolation. Uh, that's logical. All right. Yeah, they are wrong. You know, I'm right. You know, we can come up with slick phrases. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones. Your words wouldn't, you know, all, all those, see, that self-talk at least is um, consistent with some 
things that we do in intellectually and emotionally. We can handle that. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say be consoled. He said rejoice and be exceeding glad. This doesn't make sense. Listen, listen. You have to understand the natural impossibility of this. That's, listen, that's what I'm trying to emphasize to you today. That this Jesus joy we are talking about is not something that you can just wimp up from your natural emotions. It has to be from your spirit. Listen, and if you don't know that, you don't know what we are talking about. It's a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's what we're talking about. And if you think this is a joke, the last time someone shaded you in the comments on Instagram, you couldn't sleep. Are you sure? Are you sure you're ready for this? Now, and you were going back and forth exchanging words. Now, you couldn't even hold yourself from replying. Talk less of rejoicing. He didn't even say, don't reply. He didn't say, don't mind them. <laughs> you know that. We, we can manage that. Don't mind them. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. <laughs> Color me surprised. <laughs> what is this? What are you? See, let me tell you something. All the rest are commands. All right? Every other thing God required us to do, he com- I mean, it's a command. And commands are things we can do. We control our actions. But controlling your feelings is what he's asking you to do. That's a totally different ball game. He's telling you how to feel, how to react. Now, that seems more difficult. That when men revile you, you should rejoice. That's not your natural response. So, in the school of joy, the joy of the spirit, God is pushing you to do (laughs) or conditioning you to do something that is not natural. Listen, your joy in God is miraculously regulated. It can only be a miracle. Because the requirements of divine joy are impossible naturally. You have to understand this. Miraculously regulated. And here is where many people miss it. Because it is miraculous does not mean it is automatic. He said, if you live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Listen, so the fact that it is miraculous, you live by the Spirit, does not mean it is automatic. You're going to have to walk. You're still going to have a responsibility. Isn't that what Colossians 3 teaches us from verse 1 to 3? We read that also on on Sunday. And I want to run through that. This one, that time is just running and I'm still at the introduction. God help us. All right. It says, if you then be raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Listen, if we are raised with Christ, shouldn't our sight automatically be different? I mean, we are up there. But you still have a responsibility. You are raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You still have a responsibility. It is miraculous, but it's not automatic. You are going to have to partner with the Spirit on this. Partner with the Spirit on this. 
This is so crucial. And that's why we teach joy. Because you have to understand from a natural standpoint, it doesn't even make sense that joy should be taught. Is joy something to be taught? Shouldn't it come naturally? Doesn't it become mechanical when we become intentional about it? Babies at four weeks old begin to smile in their sleep. At two months, they actually begin to smile and respond to you. And not too long after, they begin to respond, you know, to music, they dance, you know, and all of that. So this is something that you come naturally, isn't it? Well, I'm glad I learned otherwise early. <laughs> Especially as a pastor. Let me tell you this. And I think I'm saying this for the first time. Pastoring can be one of the most depressing jobs. Because especially when you pastor so many people, like I'm privileged to, you have to understand at least one person is going through a tough time. And you are their pastor. So you are always going through one tough time with somebody. And if you're not careful, let me tell you something. Even the joyful occurrences in your life, to post a happy picture, you will be feeling guilty. I mean, because there is someone that is sick and I'm trusting for the person's healing or someone who is going through a tough time, you know, or something I'm meditating on, or, you know, or someone I'm interceding for, or someone's dad is having this, or someone's mom is having this. If you are not careful, you are constantly in an environment of moodiness and gloominess. And so, the, the job necessitated that I learned that my joy is not circumstantial. That's the only way to, to, to survive. And that's how it's meant to be. If a person will be perpetually happy, he must never leave his joy, joy to chance. I learned that the hard way. I mean, think about how your body functions. Isn't it amazing that right now, as you're listening to me, subconsciously, there are many things that you are doing without even trying, like breathing. And isn't it funny that the moment you become conscious of the fact that you are breathing, breathing becomes difficult. You know, because now you're like, if you become intentional about breathing in and breathing out, it will now be hard. Because maybe it's meant to be subconscious, right? And maybe joy is supposed to be like that. You just go with the flow. Don't teach joy. If I'm joyful, I'm joyful. But even from personal experience, when it comes to the very same example of breathing, you know, I have three personal coaches um, just to guide me on things I'm, I'm trying to work on. So I have two of them, a vocal Three, three coaches, but I want to talk about two of them. Vocal coach um, and um, an exercise coach. And I discovered something very profound working with both of them. I remember I learned this first in the gym in Maldives when my, my first holiday this year. I was working in the gym, and then the young guy who was at that gym told me this. He said, when you're lifting the weights breathe out through your mouth. And when you are releasing the weights, breathe in through your nose. You know, so just the mere fact that he was teaching me how to breathe was hilarious. 
But guess what? It worked. You know, so to exercise, I had to relearn breathing. You know, and my current coach, he's a church member, his name is Dotun. We'd been, we've been jogging, and when we first started, oh my God, you know, when it gets to a certain point, I'm, I mean, my lungs are just expanded, and I'm just breathing. I want to take in as much air as possible. And he told me something very interesting and profound. He said, breathing through your nose and out through your mouth. And I had to learn that consciously, <laughs> you know. Same thing with my vocal coach, you know, identified that I had been breathing wrong. You know, that doesn't even sound right, breathing wrong. So now, you see, so what I, what I learned from that is that this, even though breathing most of the time is subconscious, there are certain circumstances where I take the wheels from nature and say, mm, mechanically, this is how I should breathe so I can take a hold of my body and control how air is coming in and going out because circumstances demand it. And that's how joy ought to be also. Being a Christian doesn't mean you can't respond to surprises. You know, it's not like they surprise you on your birthday. Surprise! And you think scripturally, should I respond or not? You know, you know, you're going to be, you're going to lose your mind. That's not what I'm teaching you. You know, so you, you see, our normal responses are still there, but there are times where we must be intentional. Because if you are moody, every time circumstances tell you to be moody, <laughs> there's going to be a problem. And that's why we must hold to the teachings of God in his word. Impossible as it is. But thank God we have the Holy Ghost. He says, when men revile you and persecute you, rejoice. So it now becomes a work of faith. Just like me relearning breathing. It was very funny. <sighs> you know? <laughs> Out through your mouth, in through your nose, something that not naturally should come subconsciously. You are taking the wheels and you're intentional about it. So I'm in a precarious, sad situation, but I am going to get a grip of my soul and tell it how to act and how to respond. Like David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. It should be natural. Your soul should know to respond, but sometimes it doesn't always do so. So you tell it how to because... The fact that it is miraculous does not mean it is automatic. This is so important. And how is this miracle going to continue happen, happening? Very simple. He tells you what the compensation is. This is what the catch is. Blessed are you. Matthew 5, 11, once again. When they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Heaven is the compensation. Now, this is something that is subtly going out of fashion even in the church. Have you noticed that Christianity now is predominantly about what? We, what is bequeathed to us by our authority in Christ on earth. That is what is mostly emphasized. 
And gradually, nobody is really talking about heaven because earth is where, you know, all the catch is. We are too short-sighted. Too short-sighted. And I want you to know this. It doesn't matter how long you live. 100 years, 120, maybe you break record. 150 is still short. Infinitesimally insignificant compared to eternity. And don't make the same mistake you are making financially. Some of you, no matter all the lectures you've been through, you know, and they tell you long-term investment, you still haven't done anything. And you're playing the same game with your soul. So thank God for all the short-term enjoyment that you have in Christ, casting out devils and all of that. We'll always have authority over demons, you know. But now, um, by the leading of the Spirit, you got a job. By the leading of the Spirit, now you are relocated. Whatever it is, that's still not the ultimate catch. L let me tell you something. And for many people, they've tied their joy to the smaller, I dare say, inconsequential part of Christianity, namely the things we can get in this world, the victories we can conquer. So you hear concepts like kingdom, and when people are talking about kingdom, they're talking about um, how much authority, you know, we can have as a child of God, you know, the seven mountains, which, by the way, is a very powerful concept. Um, it's not wrong, but, you know, we just tend to major on the minors and minor on the major. All right. But that's still not, let me tell you something. If your joy is on things, even if we use spirituality to get those things, you still have a long way to go. Ultimately, if you are going to have this miraculous joy that Jesus is talking about, <laughs> your focus is going to have to be ultimately in heaven. That's where all accounts will be balanced. The reason why a lot of people are frustrated is because they expect all accounts to be balanced now. Why is it that soldiers will stand at the toll gate and release the bullets and the bullets will actually go? Why didn't, you know, angels stand before and do kneel? Like just, and just, as they just drop their hands, all the bullets will fall. Why? Why? Don't forget the parable of the, of the plants and of the thorns. You know, the thorns grew amongst the plants and God said, wait till the end. Wait till the end. And at the end, the reapers, who are the angels, will separate the thorns from the wheat. That's what he said. So you have to understand there is a form of compensation that will only happen at the end. Yes, at some point, if Herod goes beyond his mark, even though when he killed James, God did nothing. Then he goes for Peter. God, God delivers Peter by the prayers of the church and all of that. But Herod has to be judged. So you're still going to see bits and pieces of that. You know, and it's just funny. The world, you can never satisfy the world. When God judges the whole world like he did in the days of Noah, some people will say, why did God do that? 
Then when, you know, what happened at the toll gates happens, they say, why did God, which one, you have to make up your mind. All right? And God in his wisdom has given all men, even the men that you hate for their actions, all the wicked people in the world, you know, the great, terrible things that you are hearing all over the world. God is still giving them time to repent. Thank God people like Paul had some time. And so, if your focus is not on eternity, you're going to make mistakes. I'm telling you that. So apart from kingdom, you know, some people, their approach to kingdom and their approach to national development, you wonder whether they still want to go to heaven. And let me bust your bubble. No matter how hard you try, the prophecy has already been set. It will get worse before it gets better. That, that's the prophecy. This world will self-destruct. Men will destroy it. And God will have to remove us from here. You know, we will dis- you know. <laughs> and then we'll be brought back into a new heaven and a new earth. That's the prophecy. So, it's nice and cute how you're trying to beautify this earth. But remember, the destiny of this current earth has been set. And all the terrible things you are seeing around the world are a fulfillment of prophecy. Another subtle way, you know, people have, you know, been short-sighted and wanted to get all their conversation on this earth is through the miraculous. And this is a dicey one because we know that miracles are for today and for and for us. This sign shall follow them that believe. The Bible says, Mark 16, 17, they shall cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover and all of that. But we go to another extreme. Miracles were never meant to take the place of eternal life. The way some Christians act is as if um, we will just go on forever. Anyone that is that dies will raise them up. And so no need for a new body. And then there are some heretical teachings out there you need to be aware of. Very heretical. The Bible is clear. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye will be changed. Corruption shall be swallowed up by incorruption. Mortality shall be swallowed up. So listen, he still calls this body mortality. He calls it mortal. No matter your depth, your revelation, this body still remains mortal. That's God's destiny. So we have a house from heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first few verses. We have a house from heaven. This is just a tent, a building from heaven. A new body is coming. You have to understand that. A famous philosopher said in his song, nobody wants to die, but they want to go to heaven. I couldn't agree more. And then we have come up with 
faith statements that are more optimistic than 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 the Bible. Have you seen people who even say, um, never confess negative? You know, when you tell someone, you, the the elevator opens, you see someone. Sorry, are you going up or going down? I use you that is going down. I'm not going down with Jesus' name, bro. Calm down. Church people are just so extra. Sorry, are you the last on the queue? I will never be last. In is it is a simple con is is a simple principle of context. Not last in life, not last in finances, last on the queue. Are you the last person? And to the more subtle ones, you know, when Jesus said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death, was he confessing negative? Listen, and I'm not just asking you to be so negative, you never declare the word of God. But you, you have to understand, faith does not deny, you know, current feelings and emotions. That's not faith. That is, it's not a teaching in the Bible. Don't say you are sick. Say, I'm strong. It's nice. But the Bible didn't teach that. The Bible didn't teach that. I can give you so many examples. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Second Timothy 4, 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth, Paul is speaking, but Trophimus have I left in Miletus sick. He was sick. Do you understand? You are, you are late to work. What happened? I'm, I'm strong. You are strong and you still came late. You should be punished. They should remove from your salary. It's not a teaching in the Bible. And so, because we don't even really understand what our true hope is, there are some things that happen. Listen, oh my God. The reason why I'm passionate about this teaching is because well-meaning Christians have slipped into depression and in a state of, you know, where they're found wondering whether there is even a God. Just because... What they were taught about God was wrong. So you have a dad or a mom that served God faithfully all his life. All her life. You're even lucky. The person maybe saw you to a good old age. Maybe not all of us. Maybe not all of us, you know, but you know, then the person dies. And you feel somehow God has disappointed you. What, what really did he promise? Where, where did you miss it? Let me say something shocking. Let me ask you a question that will shock you. How many dead people were raised in the entire Bible? Genesis to Revelation. How many? How many? <laughs> There are some conversations we are not ready for. And, I'm, and I don't even have, you know, I wish, I don't know how much you are ready to take. So I don't know what to, now, think about it. Let me ask you a question you probably never asked yourself. Jesus told his disciples, okay, let's go preach. And some of them said, wait, sir, can we bury our dead relatives? What did Jesus say? Did he say, oh, you have dead relatives? You didn't tell me? Let me go and raise them up. Is that what he said? 
Just let the dead bury their dead. How many dead people did Jesus raise up in his earthly ministry? How many? What about Paul? What about Peter? You think only that few number of people died in that time? Why wasn't James raised? Let me tell you something. So if someone dies, you have to understand you are in between two manifestations of God's will. If the dead rise, should rise, that's a huge testimony. Praise God. But you have to understand all who die in Christ will be raised. Resurrection is inevitable for the believer. It's only a question of when. So it's either it happens now or it happens when Christ comes. When you pray for the dead to rise, you are praying a prayer that actually has already been answered. Listen, this understanding will help you. Listen, and I'm not even telling you um, not to believe in the dead rising. I'm just, I'm just, but, but for it not to happen and you think somehow something, something hasn't happened. You're missing the point. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. What we need is not an event. It's a person. You have to understand that. So simple things happen. And people begin to ask questions like, um, Pastor Adeboye's son, why did he die? You know, I did a tweet on that. And it's just very funny. The Bible is very clear. You know, you know what Paul told the church at Thessalonica? He said, concerning them that sleep. He didn't write concerning them that sleep. What are you people doing with your faith? How come people are dying? Is that what he said? No. He said, don't mourn like them that have no hope. Why are you crying like this? So the world is crying hopelessly. In burials, you two, you are crying. So, so he's telling you, you've got hope in Christ, hope of resurrection in Christ. So the way we see death ought to be different from the way unbelievers see death. So he says, they're sleeping. <laughs> when Christ comes, they will rise again. What a perspective. What if we had this perspective? That's the truth. And you know, you just wonder, how did we ever miss it? How did we, wasn't this the message from the beginning? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wasn't that the promise from the beginning? So to bring my thoughts to a close, I just want you to understand, just in case you did not get it. Faith in God presents you with the radical idea that once you have found Christ, all your needs are met. All your needs are met. You're not lacking. You're not wanting. You have a compensation in Him. Your needs are forever met in Him. And sometimes we don't even understand, we don't know the full story, you know, of some things. Okay, for instance, you know, 
The Bible tells us the story of Hezekiah. When he was told to put his house in order that he was going to die. When he prayed, God added 15 years to his life. And when 15 years came, guess what? He died. All right? So now, some people, because listen, whether you like it or not, some people have frail bodies. And by the mercy of God, they can be preserved to live longer than they were meant to. So that they can fulfill an assignment. God's final solution is a new body that will never get old, never get weary. But sometimes we are responding negatively to the mercy of God. God gave somebody more time. The time is up. The person has gone to be with Jesus, you know. And now you, yeah. don't you understand? Everyone who dies in Christ is in your future, not in your past. You will see them again. They're in your future, not in your past. And this hope should make you rejoice. Listen, this is, this is what he was teaching. He says, and that's why we can respond to persecution that way. Mind you, persecution sometimes doesn't involve just flogging. It involves death. No wonder the early disciples were ready to lose their lives. Because great is their reward in heaven. Great is their reward in heaven. Embrace this mentality. Embrace this mentality. Again, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking goodly pearls. When he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all he had to get it. So thank God for miracles, miracles of financial provision, miracles of healing and all those things. But when you have Christ, irrespective of the trials and the tribulations you face, you are still a winner. He that is born of God has overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We've overcome the world. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's what he said. That's the promise. Do you believe it? So listen, faith in Christ does not exonerate you from hardship or from hard times. That's why he says you, you should be like a soldier of Christ. Endure hardness as a soldier of Christ. Don't let your strength fail in the days of adversity. Stand strong. And as you move mountains and cause walls to fall, understand that every part of the account that doesn't seem balanced will be sorted out when Christ comes. Everyone doing, wrecking havoc in your nation. Or around the world. Every man will receive just recompense of reward for the things they've done in the body. But for now, Rejoice in the hope of salvation. Delight in it. Rejoice in the hope of salvation. 
You know, as interesting as you think your life is right now, heaven is better. And many people have a poor picture of heaven. You know, they just think of heaven as um, a long church service, a church service that will never end. No, it's not. Because the glory of God is infinite, is inexhaustible, heaven will never be boring. Did you hear what I said? Heaven will never be boring because the glory of God is infinite and inexhaustible. Don't forget, this earth that you're holding on to, he created the experience. And the person who created the experience is telling you heaven is better. Wouldn't you trust the architect of this earth to do a better job there? Trust him, come on. And by the way, your final destination is a new earth. A new earth. They're not going to be in heaven forever. You're going to live in a new earth where Christ is going to reign supreme. Trust him with your life. I have received eternal life. God saved my soul. I have received eternal life. God saved my soul. I have received eternal life. God saved my soul. I have received eternal life. God saved my soul. Eternal life. Eternal thank him for eternal life right now listen in your thanksgiving express more gratitude than you do for your card for your job for anything that you love place value and premium on that life and rejoice in it right now Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Father. Contemplate the joys of heaven. Contemplate your crown. Contemplate God telling you, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what makes the trials worth it. Contemplate God. Contemplate Christ. Thank you, Father. He has triumphed over death. Don't you understand? He holds the keys of life. Nothing can separate us from his love. No, not even death. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, I want to encourage you. Refresh your memory on what this is all about. Refresh your memory on what this is all about. Jesus is coming soon. Refresh your memory. If you've forgotten, refresh your memory. Redirect your focus. Because that hope will give you joy. And that joy will radically change your life because it's not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. If you have hope in the reward of heaven, you can face anything on the earth. That's, that's what made the early church so strong. That's God's ultimate strategy for you. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. Blessings.